you know, I'm part of our district missions pastors group, and we were having a meeting one day early in the fall, just sharing and catching up after a number of months over the summer of not meeting. Well, one of our pastors who's in a very urban setting shared about his discouragement with current cultural movements and the impact on the way missions is viewed, not just in the secular world, but even in our churches. Words like colonialism and forcing belief are being tossed into the ring as ways of understanding the work of God through the church, locally and internationally. Many missionaries don't even like being called missionaries. Why is that? You know, where do we sit on this? How would we define and understand the work of God in the world? What does it mean for us to live fully in all aspects as a Christian in light of cultural views on this? What does it mean for me as an individual or for us as a church as we continue to engage and live out what God would have us where we are? Well, listeners, I would like to welcome you to today's podcast. And these are just some of the thoughts and questions we'll be exploring with my guest, Lisa Rorick. Lisa's our assistant district superintendent in the area of mobile missions mobilization. Now, that is a mouthful. And hopefully she'll be able to describe a little bit more about what that looks like for us. But how I understand her role to be is that it includes training, coaching, supporting leaders, um, and to help increase the focus and impact of our missional efforts in our churches. She began with the district in 2019 after serving for 20 years in West Africa. So hello, Lisa, and welcome to our church's podcast. Good morning, Holly. Thank you. It's nice to have you here. I heard the drive out from the Surrey area was really nice today. It's a lovely sunny morning. Yeah. Good. So um, I've known you for a little bit, and I know that you hail from Invermere, BC. I realize that this might be a long answer, um, or at least one with many points along the way, but how did you end up in West Africa? Yeah, I could do the three-hour answer. I'm not going to. Okay. So, <laughs> the short answer. So I grew up in the Alliance, Lee Quindamere Alliance Church in the little town of Invermere in southeast British Columbia. And every year we had IWs come. Now there's a phrase, IW, international workers, same thing as missionaries, but we often just use that different phrase because as Holly mentioned earlier, often missionary is not a very good word. We'll come back to that later. So I grew up in the Alliance and these IWs would come through every year. We'd have a missions conference. And these people they had these fantastic stories. You know, they were canoeing down the Amazon. They were four-wheel driving through the jungles or through the desert and swatting with machetes through the jungles. And I like, sign me up. Who wouldn't want to do this? And so that was my initial spark was the fascinating stories, the adventures, the places, the cultures. The, the How old would did. you have been? Oh, I was probably pre-teen for okay. sure, probably under 10 when the spark of interest was there. Okay. And then as I grew, that interest continued, but also matured mm. because I'm told I went forward at a Sunday school meeting when I was seven. I don't even remember it. Uh, I, I believe I was probably, my intentions were good that I meant I wanted to follow Jesus, but I didn't know what it meant. But as I, as I matured through my teen years and I got more serious of my faith that yes I do believe in Jesus I am following this the Bible is God's word well then I started reading other things if this is God's word well then I need to take it seriously and I'd see things about the nations Jesus command to make disciples of all nations his statement that his followers would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth and the more I looked at this the more I was convinced um, that it, this was this became my responsibility, our responsibility, but my personal responsibility to enable others to hear the good news of salvation. So I went to seminary. I fulfilled the requirements to go overseas with the Alliance, and off I went. 
Okay. And was um, was West Africa on your radar or was that an area that that there was need or the development of a team? Like, how did that end up looking for you specifically in those? Because you were in two different countries, is that? Yeah, I was correct? in two different countries. I was first in Benin for my first term and then moved to Niger, where I spent most of my time. Mm. Uh, I was always fascinated with Africa more than anywhere else. So when I applied to the mission, I said I would go anywhere but I expressed, so on my written form, I would go anywhere, but I expressed verbally that my preference and leaning was towards Africa. Okay. Just because of people I knew there, because of having visited there at a, in a university summer program. Okay. Uh, so Africa had my interest, but I wasn't absolutely set on it. Okay. Maybe, at least I said I wasn't. Okay, I, that's no, that's fine. I'm just always a little curious as to how people get exactly where they end up. And I know yeah. so many that have just are okay with anywhere, but some people have really specific reasons for yeah. the destinations that they end up in. And I'm just always curious to find out what that is, if there is anything there. So, yeah. oh, thanks for sharing that. So you, um, obviously you came back. Was Did you come back in 2019 from Niger? Yes and no. I, I actually was home for home assignment from 18 to 19, June of June to June, July to July, whatever, 18, 19. Okay. And so I, I was planning to go back, except for I started wondering, just because of elderly parents and different things that were going on over there. So then I went back for just a month Okay. in uh, September, October of 19, selling my stuff, saying goodbyes. Okay. And then... Okay, and then and then you came back and yeah, started this job, October seventeenth of nineteen. Okay, and that you know that wasn't too long before COVID, you know, kind of hijacked everything. What, um, what you were you hired to do, and what, what has that looked like? And maybe this is three questions in one. And then how does that? What are you excited about now? Because now you know we're kind of getting back into. A new normal, but there's old bits of the old normal that's starting to resurface. So tell us a little bit about that transition, because it's really been a three-year, almost a three-year transition. (laughs) Yeah, it really prolonged. COVID really, really prolonged my personal transition and professional. Yeah. So my first assignment when I started was to get out and meet our people, get to the 80-plus Alliance churches around B.C., meet our our official workers, our pastors, especially the missions people, but our, our lead pastors, get out there and meet people mm-hmm. and, and meet them in their place. Go to our churches, see them in their nests and find out what's going on. Well, you know what happened to that plan. I was just getting started on that. COVID hit. And then it seemed, well, I could, I could continue it by telephone and Zoom, sort of, but then it, that seemed actually very periphery to call a pastor who I'd never met and say, so, sir, what's happening in your church mission-wise? And he <laughs> says, I don't know what's happening Sunday. Like, it it yeah. felt like, yeah. okay, maybe I should just call and say, how can I pray for you? How are you doing? How are you doing? Mm-hmm. And so while it felt like I wasn't really doing my job, I see now that actually it was building relationship mm-hmm. and trust, and it was good, but it was... Yeah, I definitely was was slow in those early months. And then started doing things on Zoom, learning it. And we started meeting with missions pastors mm-hmm. on Zoom. And that became a good thing, which was not my intention. It was just, I mean, 
Not that I planned for it to be a bad thing, but my intention was just to actually get together physically very occasionally and share some ideas. Well, it then became well, Zoom, and now it's quasi-regular, and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a network, and there's there's connections happening outside of our meetings. When oh, you're, so that that's been really good. Um, I'm not sure where I am in answering your three questions. There's something about what was I looking forward yeah, to? Yeah, what, what, what is something that is? What am I? Yeah, what's exciting what to you? What's exciting? What's exciting to you now as you look yes. forward in in actually being able to step more fully into your role? Just one really super obvious thing is being with people face yeah. to face. This, there's Zoom's a really helpful tool, and I grew to appreciate it in many ways. And there are friendships and relationships that have grown over Zoom, but it's just not the same as being with other humans. And and I've really enjoyed that. I've had two overseas trips this fall, which have been so good. So it's exciting to be traveling, but. To take a step back, sort of talk about the bigger picture of my job. It's kind of, well, there's there's a lead team chunk. So I'm on the district lead team. So there's district business and the dreaming, scheming stuff of the business. So that's one piece. But then when I look in the, the missions corner, I see three kind of big chunks. So the first is to educate and inspire. And I wrote down that perhaps this is my favorite part but it's one of my favorite parts. So it's it's teaching the scriptures. It's that looking at the repeated emphasis on God's desire to bless the nations. Mm. Includes things like our conversation today as we're lo- inspiring, educating, and, and things like facilitating a workshop called Interface, which explores the interface between the church and the world. And it's much more fun doing it in person than on Zoom. So there's the, uh, there's the educate piece. There's the Looking at clear pathways, what, so what do we do with this information? Sitting with missions committees, talking about ways they can inspire their congregations. How can they be involved? What, what's happening? How can they get their people involved? Making connections between churches and RIWs. You and I recently returned from a trip to the Middle East. Yes. And with leaders from five of our district churches. And one of the goals of that trip was to identify some pathways moving forward ways in which our churches can be connected to what's what's happening over there and then the third chunk so there's the educate there's the identify the pathways and then there's the celebrate it and maybe this is my favorite part too it's telling the stories of what's happening what god's doing places where our iws are working what creative things they're doing what what challenges they're facing um, i get excited about walking with churches taking some concrete steps towards the further involvement but like I'm a storyteller, so I love to tell the stories and celebrate what God's at work. So yeah. there's lots I'm looking forward to. Yeah, you know, and honestly, listeners, um, if you're just tuning in, uh, Lisa Rourke is here with me. Uh, she's um, one of the assistant district superintendents working in our mobile missions mobilization. And if only you could see, um, you know, as I asked her this last question, just her excitement, and she moves when she talks. And this is this is kind of going on here. And so to have somebody uh, this animated and and passionate and driven about these things that she's been talking about is is only going to be good and helpful for our churches. And so I'm really excited. Um, I'm really excited that she's part of our leadership team and um, grateful that she's been hired. And, and again, as we continue to look at what our church's involvements are, specifically in the Middle East, you know that we've got workers uh, over there that you know very well, Don and Betty. 
Um, but we're looking forward to establishing more of that. But as we, you know, kind of bring it back to the topic at hand, and Lisa talked about educating and inspiring, and again, this conversation is is one of those. And it was in these missions pastor meetings where kind of this idea came about where people in our churches are, are not having a, a real good or clear understanding of biblical mandate and are confusing, um, you know, missions, I would even say locally as well as globally, especially globally, mm-hmm. um, because they're identifying it, um, you know, with, with colonialism. And there's an idea of, of issue of rights and um, forcing belief in things. So Lisa, is this a topic um, you think that we will need to be addressing at a higher at a higher level in time, or, or is it pretty current? I know that you wrote a paper, and this is actually what prompted this podcast, is you had written a paper that I had read um, addressing, you know, this question that this other pastor had brought up, and realizing that there's actually other people, not just this one pastor, but it, you know, this question is being raised in some different areas. So it's sparking some honest conversation. How pressing is this issue? I think it's a really important one. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it's one that not a lot of people are thinking about as an important issue, but it is one. So I actually spoke in one of our churches in the greater Vancouver area a few months ago, and I talked about my, my, my morning thing was the difference between missions and colonialism. <laughs> and afterwards, there was a, a young woman, I'd put her early 20s, came and she said, you know, we were talking about this in our young adults group this week. Hmm. Like, Oh, okay. So these questions are out there. The implications are really significant because if missions really is colonialism, we'd better not be doing it. Right. We'd better not be investing money that way. But if it's not the same thing, if, if missions is something that God calls us to, then we'd better obey. So there's yeah we need to think this through and we, we need to have the conversations yeah yeah and, and maybe a helpful place to start is um especially before we get in too deep is if if we could bring some definitions you know to these words so that at least for this conversation we're starting off on the same page because a lot of people have different views and right. you know there's always semantics so let's get us all on the same page at least for this particular conversation could you um give us some starting places where uh, of definitions for colonialism and then international missions work, which I would categorize as biblical evangelical mm-hmm. missions. Mm-hmm. Well, let's start with colonialism. And many of us have ideas of what we think that is. It's a word we're hearing in the news mm-hmm. quite a bit in the last, what, three years maybe. So I started off by chatting with my friend, Miriam Webster, the, dif- the dictionary <laughs> definition. Colonialism is the domination of a people or an area by a foreign state or nation. It's the practice of extending and maintaining a nation's political and economic control over another people or area. So it's coming in, it's saying, we're the boss, here's the way it's going to be, here's what you're going to believe, here's how you're going to act, here's the laws you're going to obey, here's the way your money's going, here's the way your business is going, here's the taxes you're paying to us. It's that squelching of one people by another. Um, there's some, just throw out a couple of really well-known examples. Let's go back to the 15th century. England, France, other Europe- European nations discovered the Americas as if they were just sitting there completely empty waiting to be taken. 
you know, and they claim portions of these continents for themselves. And when I was in school, I wasn't taught the deplorable way that these explorers treated the indigenous peoples. I remember coloring maps in grade school and hearing about these heroes. But there was this whole dark side that we never, that I never learned. You know, so these these Europeans, they believed that they had this right to come in and take over because, well, there weren't fences and you know it wasn't obvious whose land was whose, and so it was all what they called you know, no man's land. So therefore, open to claim. So that was that was one, and and then 19th century, you know, move ahead a little bit, and those same European countries and others tried to grab their share of Africa. Boundary lines between colonies were often drawn arbitrarily. They sent a boardroom in Europe drawing lines on maps and often not paying attention to ethnic regions and unity and regional ties and tribal migratory patterns or even natural boundaries. And it, this was primarily about economic gain. So there's another big thing, mm -hmm. is the economic gain. So we had to see shiploads of natural resources stolen from Africa for the economic benefit of the European countries and their American colonies. Not to mention the millions of slaves who were taken. Um, so these colonial powers, like I said, they, they imposed their languages, their laws, their taxes, their religions, other aspects of culture on the indigenous peoples of the countries they colonized. Let me just mention that word indigenous. It just, it just simply means belonging to the place, like it's the original peoples. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when we use the phrase, people think, oh, it's only the North American indigenous First Nations people. And then so if you talk about indigenous people in Africa, they're like, oh, they're over there too? No, so that's, no, we're not talking Canadian First Nations people. Are the, the indigenous people in Africa are the Africans who, they're the first peoples. Right, so right. that was just, because sometimes that, yeah, good clarification. That, that yeah. word, because in our context, it's usually used about First Nations people in Canada. We overlook that actually, no, that the meaning of the word is the peoples of the place. Right. So wherever the place is, it's those peoples. Yeah. No, that's excellent clarification. Thank you for that. So okay, so that's we've had a little bit of a definition for colonialism now. Um, let's yes. get on the same page when we talk about international missions work or a biblical, biblically evangelical. Okay. Um, so this is, we're talking about crossing cultural boundaries. To, and that doesn't necessarily mean going in an airplane, but crossing cultural right, boundaries right. to give access to Jesus to people who haven't heard of him. It involves demonstrating God's love in a variety of ways. So it can be development things. It can be relief after tragedies. It can be medical, education, whatever. And presenting the gospel to people in a way that they can understand so that they can then make a choice for themselves whether or not they will follow him. So there's, there's an invitation, but there's not an imposition. Right. 
So there's, there's, you know, in contrast, colonialism I mentioned is about economic gain. Mission is about freely giving what we've received. Right, right. And that's good. So, yeah, it's just, again, so that as we use these words and as we, you know, continue this conversation, um, this is actually going to be a, a, a two-podcaster kind of thing. So if, if something wasn't addressed today, there's a good chance that it'll, it'll show up in the next, in the next podcast. But Lisa, what factors have impeded people's thinking or have helped to cloud, you know, some of this understanding or, and have created the tension that, you know, that we're obviously now working with? Yeah. Uh, one is just our culture. So before anything came up in the news about residential schools and stuff, we'll get to that in a minute, but our culture has been on a multi-year slide away from Christianity. Mm-hmm. And there's increasing doubt in the existence of absolute truth, mm-hmm. in the existence of God himself. There's this perception that Christians hate people who disagree with them, especially on moral issues. So there's that sets, oh, well, if it's Christian, it's bad. Now that's, I realize that's an oversimplification, but mm-hmm. in some people's thinking, mm-hmm. that's, that's it. It's Christian, it's bad. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a, a step back. Um, in fact, in, in over my years in Africa, I rarely used the word missionary. If, if I was, for example, if I'm on a plane in Canada or internationally, and and the person next to me says, "What do you do?" You know, they're being they're being uh, friendly. And if I said, "Oh, I'm a missionary," it's as if they have weirdo lights attached to their head and they start flashing real fast. <laughs> it's, it's they got their nose back in their book so fast. They're like, "That's interesting." And they're just, conversation's over. Whereas if I would say, well, I work in community development in West Africa. Cool, tell me more. So there's this perception that missionaries destroy culture and stuff religion down people's throats. So there's that just, and that perception has leaked into the church as well. So when I was a kid, if when I mentioned to family and friends, even non-believing friends, that I thought I was heading to missions. Well, that was a noble profession. That was fine. Nobody seemed to care. Whereas now, it's like, oh, mm. that that wouldn't be the same response even in the church. Yeah. So we need to, we need to take, we're taking a step back and almost having to justify. I don't even like having to say it that way, but just that to explain why we do this in the church. Of course, it's really come to head in the last couple of years with the discovery of the unmarked graves and the residential schools and the atrocities that happened in Canada. And our eyes have been opened to Canada's colonial past in which missionaries played no small part, especially with these schools. So I, I, I did some reading. I read a book called A Knock on the Door, and it's an abridged version of the report of Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Because the report itself is monstrous and could drown most readers. A Knock on the Door is a 200-and-something page book, so it's much more readable. It explains that really the basic idea was the the Indigenous kids were taken out of their traditional homes, in, in their traditional context, educated by the majority culture, and then... By doing that, these children, as they grew, they would gradually, they would be 
absorbed into the majority culture, cease to exist as distinct entities, and then the government would no longer have to abide by their treaty obligations. Mm. And uh, this report makes it clear that the Canadian government intended to eliminate Indigenous languages and culture, and their main strategy was to do that through the schools. Many of these schools were really marked by poor educational standards, malnutrition, horrible physical sexual abuse. They were funded by the Canadian government, but many were run by churches, hmm. mostly Roman Catholic, Anglican, United Methodist, Presbyterian, although there's some others as well. But so we can't deny that missionary work has been associated with colonialism uh, in Canada and around the world. So, so we don't want to sweep that under the under the carpet. We say, well, yeah, okay, what what has been done wrong? Where do we need to repent of that, make changes? But what do we need to do right? Mm -hmm. um, so you know, the, the European and, and the North American missionaries of the colonial area, they automatically carried with them the power of that state. Mm -hmm. And that's no longer the case. And But they did whether they wanted it or not or even realized they had it, but that power was easy to abuse. Yeah. Yeah, so. and sometimes I think, too, I mean, I've read stories about where it, uh, I don't know if I'm going to say this properly, but where because the, they had already been living in some of these places and they were aware of language, they were aware of culture, uh, they were aware of a lot of things so that when, like the bigger guns came in, if 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 you will, they used the missionaries yep. as resources, and so sometimes whether that be they're just really not paying attention to what's what's actually happening, um, but they they help to create inroads that they didn't necessarily intend yep. to. That's correct. Um, but it, but I mean that's that's also part of it, and so it's, you know, it's it's just there's there's a lump lumping that happens in there's like a range of of ways that missionaries have contributed to these these atrocities but also generalizations where things have happened like i also i've had conversations with people where they where they link um you know international missions work along the same lines as the crusades yeah you know the you know the that was a hot bloody violent mess on both sides you know between you know, between the, the Christians and, and the Muslims. Like it just, it, that was, that was no good. Um, but again, it's a big, broad, broad stroking brush, um, because of, um, again, because of some of these atrocities that really have, that really have happened. And in no, in no way, shape or form am I, am I condoning that, nor are you. Um, but as you've kind of talked to, um, or alluded to that there has been some good and sometimes you know oftentimes you know especially in news we just don't hear we don't hear right. the good um, that's that's come from these again I I don't condone these events at all but again these broad generalizations have been made and um, very little consideration um, has been given to the notable instances where good and forward movement has happened because of of missionary work done well and done right and done um, done with the intention of invitation, as you had talked about earlier. So, Lisa, what are some of these true stories that have been missed that tell pieces of these kinds of benefits or the good, um, where, mission, where missions has actually stood against colonialism? Right, right. That's a good question, Holly. 
I want to start by going way back to 17, the late 1700s. Um, William Carey, who is often called the father of modern missions. So he was a British guy. He was a pastor and a shoemaker who went to India. And in 1792, the British East India Company had what they called a stop carry order. So in other words, they, they would not allow him, they would not permit their ships to take him as a passenger. And the company threatened actually to revoke the sailing license of any ship that let let, that let Carrie get on. Hmm. So apparently they didn't want him and other missionaries to disrupt their affairs by preaching justice and other biblical values that the company was not living up to. Um, But India apparently did appreciate Carrie and actually they made a postage, printed a postage stamp in his honor <laughs> recently, 1993, okay. so relatively recently. So, yeah, you know, the church's global outreach has been flawed, but there's been much good. You know, and so there we see the colonialists themselves didn't even want the missionaries around. There's a guy called Andrew Spencer of the um, Institute for Faith, Works, and Economics, and he wrote an article about the benefits of Protestant missions, and he explored, he explored research that was accepted by independent reviewers. So this is a proper academic article. And he claims that missionaries were crucial in the initiation and development of things like religious liberty, of mass education, of mass printing, the printing press. Mm. And not, they didn't invent the printing press, but they made F- big use of it, newspapers, voluntary organizations. Uh, I would also add that missionaries have contributed to health care, the preservation of indigenous languages. They've done uh, uh, Wycliffe Bible translators. This is one of their, their presence in places where there's languages that are dying. They're, they're the ones who are writing these languages down and pre- helping preserve these cultures. Yeah, with, and if I can just interject in that, I mean, um, CAC people we are we're familiar with with Wycliffe work and and offshoots of that you know our Peru mm-hmm. our Peru project mm-hmm. is you know very much involved um, with idea the organization that has done translation and um, and we're familiar with the term heart language um, which is you know it refers to that language that a person first learns so um, which is their the language of their people of their home. Um, it's not always English. It's not always French. It's not always um, any other Latin language. Um, often it's, um, it's tribal languages. It's dialects. And so to be able to help preserve some of these languages and not only preserve but translate um, the Word of God into languages that that these people are going to best understand and relate to right. and and have a, a better chance of experiencing the Holy Spirit and that transformational work that he does through reading the word is pretty incredible. So it's not only scriptures that are being translated into some of these languages, but other discipleship tools, other right. other reading materials, medical even things. medical things, medical announcement things, farming things stories their own culture stories yeah the value and dignity of the human being um is is under is what underlying uh, what underlies this and you know we think of what does that teach us in scripture people are are made in the image of god they bear they bear his image um his great love and care 
um, for the individual as well as for these communities. And we honor these communities when we learn their languages. Yes. It honors people. Yes. There's another study I wanted to mention. There's two researchers, one's from the University of Ottawa, another from Dalhousie, and they researched the long-term effects of colonial-era mission work in northern Nigeria. Okay. And this was just published uh, just last year. So they compared areas in northern Nigeria where there was lots of missionary activity with areas where mission activity was actually restricted by the colonial administration. So note again the restriction of missionary activity by the colonialists. And what they found is that in the areas where there was greater historical mission activity, those areas today have higher levels of schooling, lower levels of fertility, higher household wealth. Hmm. So there's a correlation there. And of course, let's add to this the vast number of testimonies, personal testimonies for people who have come to Christ through international missions. Fulani believers in Niger. So Fulani is the name of the people group I worked with. Mm. When I was packing up that month, uh, three years ago, they vocalized, they, they, they asked me to pass on their thanks to my family in Canada, to the people who sent me, to the believers here. So, because they sent, you, you sent me so that they could know the joy of a life transformed by Jesus. I have a friend who's from the Caribbean. And again, he says, yeah, there were some things done wrong in missions, but... I'm grateful for the missionaries who came because otherwise my family and I wouldn't know Jesus. Mm. So I, I, I no way want to be throwing my, my colleagues of previous generations under the bus because there's been much, much good. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard, you know, it's hard when we don't, we don't know how to make restitution for some of these things because we aren't those people that, that were a part of that. And so... It's it's hard to identify ourselves with those things, um, yeah. but there's a, there's some level where where that just needs to be recognized, and I think we'll we'll talk about that a little bit more in the podcast when we start to you know turn the conversation to the so what now question. Um, so you guys will have to you know maybe yeah, listen to the next one. Stay with us. <laughs> um, but I want to keep moving on in, in some of this. This has been excellent, Lisa, and I've just appreciated. I mean, we've had some pre-conversation around this, and I've read um, what Lisa's written in her paper. And, and so I've been really anticipating this, but I'm just still learning so much um, from the things that you're saying. And again, how, how is this going to impact me? Um, but uh, to keep moving forward here, along the same lines as, as some of what we've been addressing as we think of colonialism and um, you know, biblical, evangelical, international work um, along the same lines as that, um, and that comes up in some of these conversations is the issue of right in people's statements against Christian mission. Um, I know that I have heard and have been part of some of these conversations that ask the question, what right does the Christian have to go to another culture and make judgment on how they live? And that what they believe um, that needs to change. How, in your experience, Lisa, what are, what are ways that this, tra- that this question could be addressed? Mm-hmm. Well, it's about time we start talking about the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> so simply put, reaching the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ is at the center of the biblical message. Um, so let's do it, just a super quick overview. Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram, whose name was changed to Abraham, He promises to make him into a great nation and to bless him. He says, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That's Genesis 12, 3. 
This was not a one-time comment. That promise in various forms is repeated multiple times throughout the scriptures. Um, and and it, he repeated, God repeated it to Abraham. He repeated it to Isaac. And it's always this intention. We see his intention from the beginning was to use his people to bless all the peoples of the earth. So it wasn't like God picked Abraham and they became the Jews because they're his favorites and the rest of them, well, they're just kind of along for the ride for who knows why they're there. But no, it was he chose the Jews through whom he, he would bless them and then through, whom, through them bless the nations. And that is, um, that's pretty clear in the Old Testament. And there are many ways God blesses people. But the greatest, the most far-reaching way was by sending his son, his own son, Jesus, to be the savior of the world. And we get to celebrate that again this month as, as we celebrate Advent and Christmas. But see, Jesus was a direct descendant of Abraham. And and he's the one, he's the one who was promised in in. Genesis twenty two eighteen, when God told him that through your offspring, all the nations on earth will be blessed. And then jump ahead to Galatians chapter 3, Paul takes the guesswork out of this for us. When he says, he's speaking of the Gentiles, he's talking about them being saved through faith in Jesus, and he raised, says, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you. So this is the gospel. This is for all peoples. Um, you know, there are some who would like to believe that all people are automatically blessed, saved, simply because Jesus came and he was crucified, raised back to life. But that is not the teaching of Scripture nor is it the teaching of Jesus himself. In explaining his own mission near the beginning of his ministry, Jesus said that super famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that who should not perish? Whoever believes will not perish and have eternal life. So there's this connection with believing. And then the night before his death, Jesus told his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Well, then, in, in his letter to Romans, Paul further develops this idea. And he says in chapter 10 that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Super. We like that. And then he goes on and goes, what, well, wait, how can they call on one they have not believed in? Right, you need to believe. But how can they believe if they haven't heard? Oh, gets less comfortable. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Oh, that sounds bossy. And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? It is essential that people know Jesus, that they have that opportunity to believe. So what right do we have to go to other cultures and introduce them to Jesus? There's a, three little verses at the end of Matthew that we have come to know as the Great Commission. And Jesus himself gave us his command. So it's after his death and resurrection, just before he returns to his father. He calls his disciples together with him and, and he says to them, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded and, and, and I will be with you to the end of the age. 
So we, there we have it, the right, the responsibility to take the gospel to the nations because the one who has all authority has commanded us to do it. So we go, no, it's culturally uncool. Well, we can't put cultural coolness, what kind of dumb phrase is that? But what, what, we can't put that <laughs> over the commandment of the one who has all authority. But we must do it with humility, recognizing that we are prone to sin, including arrogance and blindness to our own cultural bias. But we have the commandment, the responsibility to let the nations know of this blessing that, that Jesus came to bring them. There you go. Yeah. Well, Lisa, I really appreciate I really appreciate your time today. And I think, you know, at least in this first first podcast, I hope there's for you listeners lots to think about. We've we've outlined in in really basic and general um, form just exactly what this tension is. You know, the tension between uh, colonialism, the tension with, um, you know, international work, specifically, you know, biblically driven you know, missionary mandates, um, you know, from the Bible. And Lisa just walked us through um, quite systematically and briefly. I mean, that was that was incredibly um, well done in, in such a short period of time because it's a message that is throughout the Bible. And so so today we're just going to we're going to end our podcast here. And I hope that there are some things in here for you to think about. Again, the intention of these engaged podcasts are not to answer every single question and to do your thinking for you, but to give you things to think about so that you can be engaging prayerfully with with the Lord on your own, um, with your small groups, with good friends. Hopefully this sparks conversation in in a good way so that so that there is greater understanding, um, but also love um, in, in our relationships with the Lord and with, and with our neighbors. Um, so I, again, just stay tuned for our next podcast together. Um, we're going to be looking again at more key differences in biblical mission and colonialism and how we move forward from the past and towards new and deeper understanding of biblical mission and who we are and how we live as disciples of Jesus. So I just want to leave you with some questions. Uh, for for you to be engaging with, I think the f- the first one is is how how literate are you in your own Bible, and and I say that I mean that sounds really you know really pointed and I guess it is, but how do you understand mission in the Bible? Where um, where are you getting um, your theology around this? Is it driven mostly by culture, uh, or is it driven because of what you're reading um, in in God's Word? Um, my second question to that then is where where do you find tension in your understanding of mission in some of the things that we are discussing today or even as you've been reading on your own? And how does this affect you as you live as a Christian? I could even further ask, you know, what is a disciple of Christ? What does one look like? Um, because I think this kind of all fits together. And again, as we're pursuing the Father and and looking for forward movement and growth in our own lives, I think these are some questions that that we need to be answering or at least addressing. So I'm going to leave those with you there. Again, stay tuned for our next podcast where we're going to continue on in this conversation. Uh, But until next time, uh, may God bless you richly. We'll see you soon.